electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber along with Morgan Brennan and Mike Santoli. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl have the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures on what is a shortened trading day. And, of course, today is typically all about retail, but not so much because of that action you're looking at right there. In fact, that market action, of course, is being uh, pushed by renewed fears of, uh, of COVID. In fact, a new COVID variant uh, from South Africa, apparently, that has been concerning scientists because it uh, does have a high number of mutations. There's also been a dramatic spike in infections in that country from a very low level, we should point out, but enough at least to concern global markets, as you're seeing there here. Uh, the Nikkei is also sold off Europe as well. We have a lot of questions as whether vaccines will work against this new variant as well as they have against others. And of course, other questions involving how infectious it is. But markets not asking questions. The markets just saying, okay, push the COVID trade button. That's exactly what it is. It's kind of an automated reflex, an understandable one, I think, given the way the market was already kind of leaning. Because if you remember, the last couple of weeks have been about the conversation of is the economy reaccelerating, the global uh, kind of inflation, reflation trade was the story. Are central banks going to have to push back against it? All we were talking about was how weak all the pandemic winners were. Peloton, Zoom, really getting jettisoned. And even some of the kind of... Uh, you know, longer term speculative growth stocks in software, right? So every in every way um, that you would have thought you were correctly positioned two days ago was the wrong one if, in fact, we're going to have another COVID growth scare. And, and that's the way it is. And I mean, I think essentially investors, to the extent that they were trying to lean the other way, kind of walked into this punch a little bit, uh, which might mean it's an exaggerated response at the open, which might mean we just don't know exactly uh, what the clean read is on assessing this risk. I think the, one of the things to keep in mind here, Morgan, is the market kind of loses its prescience uh, or powers of, of figuring out and pricing in the, the likely risk in, a, in, 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 in an instance like this, because literally there's not some information that the market can can locate and assess and say, well, we know exactly what this is going to turn out to be. So it's more about let's reduce our risk in the interim and figure out what happens next. Yeah, and of course, this is all happening on a holiday trading day where you have shortened hours and typically, and we'll have to keep an eye on what volumes do and look like today, but typically lower volumes yeah. to begin with. Um, but in many ways over the past 20 months, what we're seeing play out right now is that dare I say, pandemic playbook. You've got stocks lower. You've got Treasury yields lower. It's actually been a pretty dramatic reversal in the bond market this week. I mean, it was just Wednesday that we saw those Fed minutes that, you know, indicated a more hawkish tone. You have crude lower. You have the dollar weakening. You have Bitcoin lower. You have gold higher. You have the VIX spiking this morning. And then we were just showing it before. But it is those so-called stay-at-home stocks that have been hit pretty hard in recent weeks, like Zoom, like Peloton. 
um, like eBay, Etsy, Netflix is higher, DocuSign is higher, that are jumping this morning, even as some of those travel and leisure-related names, whether it's the cruise lines or Expedia and Booking or the casinos or the airlines. Also, Boeing is down something like 6.5% right now uh, under pretty severe pressure on these potential new variant that could potentially be called new, depending on what the WHO says today, uh, variant As headlines NU, today. As in NU, I believe, NU. right? Yeah. NU. Um, uh, yeah. And again, your point's a good one, of course. A real lack of liquidity. And by the way, even though Europe doesn't have a holiday, what I'm hearing is as well, things are very quiet there too. So it is a generally quiet day in which you will see perhaps moves that are therefore uh, outsized as a result of the lack of of liquidity. Uh, I mean, Mike, it, you know, it is important to point out Zoom down from its high, yeah. uh, enormous losses. Mm-hmm. Peloton, again, the concern has been a lack of growth at these high multiple companies, not just them, but many other software related companies that we were talking about earlier yeah. in the week uh, that aren't necessarily as focused on the uh, the COVID economy, so to speak, right. as a Peloton was or seemed to be. For well, and you time. can see there, I mean, what today's bounce is going to look like on the chart. Right. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, well, let's not get too negative on these things that might have a little bit of a second act. Um, but again, I, I don't think it's the market and its infinite wisdom saying, well, now we know that it's going to be a, another lockdown. I think there's a very high threshold for lots of restrictions being added back in this country. We don't exactly know how vaccines are going to uh, going to perform. Uh, and it's, it's much more about the market in its tactical way getting caught on the wrong foot uh, and, and probably just like, let's take the weekend to figure this out. Also, you know, people have been buying dips in some of the popular stocks in an aggressive way, uh, you know, on the retail side. And so I want to see how it plays out throughout the day to see if you get people deciding that this is uh, kind of an opportunity in here because everybody, again, in, you know, Nothing says that the that the upward bias in the fourth quarter has been completely, you know, canceled at this point. Right. We don't know. The vaccine point is an interesting one, too, because some of the biggest movers right now pre-market are those COVID-19 vaccine stocks, your Pfizer's and Moderna's uh, and the like. And so even though there are these question marks about what the efficacy of those current shots are actually going to be against this new potential variant, um, they're moving higher and actually Regeneron's higher too and that has an antibody cocktail even though there's questions about what antibody therapies uh, are, are going to look like versus this variant as well if you see it continue to spread. Um, presumably here, uh, it's the idea that you might have a, a Pfizer or a BioNTech, which I know have both come out with headlines in the last hour or so, talking about more data, um, newer vaccines against this variant in the next couple of in the next couple of weeks, um, that potentially the demand continues to increase for more shots. Yeah, I mean, and you know what, even if it isn't necessarily this variant, and we certainly hope it is not, I think it does uh, bring to, to the fore the idea that this is not going away, that there is conceivably, we are going to be dealing with variants for unfortunately what may be years to come in some fashion. And so that's going to require continued innovation from many of these companies, whether it be in changing the vaccine. And let's not forget the oral antivirals that will soon most likely be available. We did have some news from Merck today. We'll get to that in a bit as well involving Molnupiravir, uh, but also the Pfizer oral antiviral. Again, those may be what we rely on in many ways to sort of stop this thing. Uh, at least stop it from uh, spreading quickly, whether it be this variant, if in fact it does prove to be as as concerning as some think at this point or one down the road. I want to bring in uh, 
my man Jim Kramer, who uh, not here, but never far from our hearts or our minds. Jim, uh, <laughs> want to get your thoughts on uh, on this market action that's going to begin about 23 minutes from now? Well, first, David, I mean you're absolutely right that we have to hope that we have the antivirals because this is something that is already out of the bag in some places. And I just feel like that once again, if everyone were to be vaccinated, particularly the immunocompromised, this wouldn't keep occurring. But we obviously are still not doing the job uh, making sure that everybody is vaccinated. So this is just going to be one more and there'll be another and another. It's not a, it, it, it has to be eradicated or at least be controlled. And we're not doing that. So, David, I've got to tell you, when I read that there's one in Belgium and I, one in Botswana, I, we're going to wake up next week and find one in this country. And I'm not going to recommend anybody buying it today until we sure, we're sure that isn't going to happen. And I can't be sure that it won't. Right. Although it's important, Jim, to point out, and we'll hear from Meg Terrell shortly. I mean, there's very little we know at this point. The concerns right. always are about its ability to evade the current vaccines, or at least in some larger fashion than thankfully has been the case in the past, or that there is an even higher rate of transmissibility with this virus uh, versus the Delta, for example. But we don't have the answers at all. No, I mean, the one thing I do trust are the scientists. I trust them continually. If Pfizer says they can do something, I'd love to hear from Moderna today, uh, then I'm, I'm confident we're going to be able to lead our lives in, uh, you know, in a more, you know, certainly not the way we'd love to be, but where we have to be more careful. But I just think that the scientists are the people I trust. And if the scientists tell me that they think they can get something, then I'm going to be with them. But I was uh, reading Dr. Topol this morning, who is, uh, or Topol, I think is the best follower on things. And he's just basically saying, listen, this thing spreads really fast. We don't know a lot about it. Uh, we have to kind of hope for the best. And when I read that, I think to myself, well, is that really the clarion call to go out and, and uh, buy the stock of a, of a mall company? No. I mean, I, I can understand why, uh, why Regeneron would go up. Regeneron has something. I can understand why we can fit so Pfizer certainly go up. But otherwise, I, I'm reluctant to say this is the time to go buy a retailer I, I just or, or go buy a cruise ship company because there will be people who are very – who are much more um, risk-averse than you and I and, and refuse to believe that the scientists can get this under control. So it's not, uh, not a buy option. not a buying option. Right. So, you, I mean, do you, you think some of these moves, and we're looking at the cruise lines right now, all down almost 10%. And again, we haven't begun trading it. Let's make that point. 20 minutes from now, we will. You think these moves are justified then is what I kind of hear you saying, Jim. I kind of, well, I think that there are a lot of people who, who recognize that when we first heard that Delta was going to be bad, if they had sold um, these stocks, they would have done better if they held on to them. I mean, I, I don't know how rapidly we can go through a cycle of realizing that this isn't the end of the world again, but I, I think you have to, if you're going to buy something, you buy something with a great balance sheet to buy that, not something with a bad balance sheet and know about that. Jim, it's Morgan. Um... How real is the risk of potential lockdowns here in this country? I mean, we're, we're seeing it in other parts of the world right now, and I would have thought up until a couple of weeks ago that maybe that wouldn't be the case. Well, I, I'm going to say that we're not going to happen. Uh, we're not going to happen because in the end we were just getting, every time it looks like it's getting grimmer, we do get a big uh, new group of people who, are, who get the shot. There is going to be real imperative to get the booster because obviously we see some real uh, limited, let's say we, we see a big decline in the power of these things after six months. So I, I think I don't see any lockdown here. Uh, I think that our country is 
uh, getting better and better and better. But at the same time, unless we, uh, I don't want to say that we should not have traveled from Europe, but Europe's got to get it together. And Europe is way behind us now. After being ahead of us, there are certain countries that don't seem to just don't, they just will not take the vaccine. So, Morgan, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, again, I don't want to be in anything that's travel-related today. That's the stuff that goes down. You get that stuff on Monday. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of incredible what we've seen happen in energy stocks, too. I mean, there's some of the biggest movers to the downside pre-market this morning. And it was just, what, earlier this week that we had the announcement from President Biden that the SPR is going to release barrels of oil in a coordinated fashion with a number of other countries. And Crude prices actually went higher, and now finally you're seeing Brent trading below 80 bucks a barrel. I mean, is this has this story really changed that rapidly from shortages to surplus? Great question, Morgan. I'd say no. I mean, when you, I just was looking through stocks and I was thinking, all right, Chevron is going to yield is going to be able to pay its five percent uh, dividend no matter what. They've just got so much cash. Oil's not going to go back. If I had to start buying something today. I would be looking to buy Chevron who went to 5%. It's 4.5% yield right now. That would be a great call because there is demand for oil. There will be travel. I, I am not, I'm trying to distinguish between my being, my being concerned about what's going to happen and what people are doing on a very thin day where they may just decide, you know what, I can't take it anymore. And I'd rather buy from those people on Monday than I would buy them to, from them today. All right, Jim. And finally, for me, you know, when it's you and me at the desk, we always talk about the key to this market. Is there anything in particular that you would key on when trading starts? It's going to be a short day, by the way, so not that many hours to actually key on at all. You know, I have my investment club, and I was just going back and forth with my brain trust, my team, and I said, oh, my gosh, Amazon's the key to the market again, because Amazon is what did best. Uh, and Amazon will probably go up a great deal. Jim, uh, try and actually have a day off. Will you do that for me? I know it's impossible to ask of you because it's, it's already clear. I was going to actually, doing, uh, I, I, I've got uh, the, the number of tasks that I have that my wife gave me before I got the phone call from our executive producer, Todd Bowen, has it so that I'll be able to take the day off from work, but not from housework. Right. I'd rather be yeah, at work, a- Davis. Okay. She's not watching. Uh, I'd much rather be at work. If, I could, if you could chopper me into work, it would be so much better than the dishes. The dishes, Davis. Oh, the dishes, We were literally man. just talking we about the dishes. We were talking about the dishes. They just never end. Oh, they never end. Oh. The dishes never end. Uh, all right. Then the trade-off with the leftovers on. But anyway, look, yeah. guys, don't, no panic. Let others panic. We'll profit Monday. Let others panic today. Do not panic. All righty? Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. Love you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jim Cramer. We're going to take a quick break here. As you've seen, futures are going to be down sharply. We're getting started with trading about 15 minutes from now. We'll have a lot more squawk on the street for you. We are at the New York Stock Exchange, and we've got a lot more straight ahead. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. 
You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Let's bring in our Meg Terrell with the latest on this new COVID variant and the fears that are cropping up there. Hi, Meg. Hey, Morgan. So this is a variant that has been detected very early by geneticists in South Africa doing a lot of surveillance work there. Um, Here's why it's concerning. Uh, It has more than 30 mutations to the spike protein, which of course is the key protein that the vaccines target uh, and allows the virus to infect cells. They call it a, quote, unusual constellation of these mutations, some of which are known and potentially give the virus the ability to be more transmissible and potentially to evade our vaccine vaccines or prior immunity from uh, infection, Uh, but that is still being figured out right now. Now, in a press conference yesterday, uh, South African researchers showed just how quickly this variant looks like it's sort of taken over in South Africa. Of course, they had a very dangerous third wave from the Delta variant. That was in the red there. You can see this blue spike there. It's very small, but that is this new variant B11529, uh, which may get its Greek letter from the WHO today. And you can just see how quickly uh, it's in terms of prevalence and becoming dominant there in South Africa. Importantly, though, guys, to put this into context, if you look at the total number of cases we are seeing in South Africa right now, it is still very, very small. It's just that tiny uptick right there at the bottom uh, of that chart. And so this is very early days for this variant. The WHO should be giving more guidance on how concerning it looks to them. They say it could take a few weeks to really get information about it. Uh, Now, in terms of the vaccine makers, we've been in touch with them this morning. Moderna CEO telling us they've shown before that they can rework their vaccines and develop new constructs in less than 60 days to get them into human clinical trials. Now, the question of the timing from there includes what regulatory process will be required? Will there need to be you know, clinical safety follow-up for a few months, for example? Uh, and then manufacturing new doses, they say, would also take a few months. BioNTech has pointed out um, they have leapt into action on this as well. They're already looking at this in the lab. They say they expect more data from those lab tests within two weeks at the latest. And they and Pfizer have shown they can adapt their vaccine within six weeks and ship initial batches within 100 days. So guys, the industry keeping very close eyes on this variant as they do all new emerging variants. Uh, The scientific community is certainly alarmed about the number of mutations here and what's known about them. Um, But they do emphasize it is very, very early days at this point, guys. Meg, given the fact that it is very, very early days, I mean, we know these mutations are associated with resistance to neutralizing antibodies. We know that it's potentially very transmissible, as you just laid out. How long until you start to see data on the severity of this variant and whether it's something that leads to more hospitalizations and deaths or something that people can manage through more successfully? 
Yeah, so that's something that has taken some time, you know, in previous variants to really tease out. You know, it was thought that the Delta variant potentially was more severe at one point. And what's really difficult is when you have such a more contagious variant like this, more people are going to get it. And so, you know, more people are going to go to the hospital, just the percentage of people, regardless of whether it's actually more severe. And so it can be difficult to tell. Uh, we don't have any information about whether it's more severe or potentially less severe than other variants at this point. So. All of that will be looked at very closely. We did hear from the South African researchers in the Ministry of Health yesterday. They are worried about their health care system starting to get overwhelmed just if they get more cases. And then, of course, that proportion that does get hospitalized. So it's concerning, even if it's just more transmissible. Meg, uh, it's the point in the conversation where I bring up the oral antivirals, but I think it's important to do so. Um, obviously, Pfizer and Merck. We did get some new data from Merck in terms of molnupiravir that showed as they continued the trial for which they'd already submitted the interim analysis, uh, hospitalizations did actually rise in the placebo group a bit, but it does still seem quite effective in keeping people from dying and a 30% reduction or so in hospitalizations. Uh, panel meeting next week. Pfizer doesn't have a panel yet uh, date, but these don't act on the spike protein, so their importance can't be underestimated, I would, I would imagine, when we see variants like the one out of South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. One of the beauties of both Molnupiravir and Pfizer's uh, drug as well is that they seem to be very broadly active across multiple viruses, not just uh, SARS-CoV-2. And so the worry about variants is less. Of course, we need more information about this to be able to actually see this proven out. Um, but that is what I'm hearing this morning from experts in these areas as well. Um, the Merck documents from the FDA have posted this morning. We did see that efficacy when we got the final count with more patients in the trial dropped to 30 percent and preventing hospitalizations and deaths from about 48 percent at the interim look. And it really looked like an improvement in this people who got counted who were in the placebo trial. They did better in the second half of the trial than the people in the first half of the trial. So from the FDA documents this morning, it looks like the FDA is leaning toward clearing this. And its questions for the advisors is really what population of patients is appropriate here. They have specific questions about pregnant women. Uh, they also want to know about the risk that Molnupiravir could lead to potential emergence of new variants because of the way that it works. Uh, and they want to know how broadly it should be used in people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated. All of that will be discussed on Tuesday. Meg, thank you for breaking down uh, everything we know and reminding us uh, what we don't yet. Thank you. Uh, always good to talk to you, Meg. Uh, take a look at the futures right now. They are uh, showing pretty deep pre-market losses. The Nasdaq set to be a bit of an outperformer as often happens when Treasury yields are down and people are worried about growth. The S&P 500 looking open down about 72 would get us back to early November levels. More Squawk on the Street when we return. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Let's get a look at the big cap tech stocks uh, early this morning. You see uh, modest losses, a little more than 1% for Alphabet, Apple, Meta, as well as Microsoft, although Amazon uh, up almost 1% on this Black Friday. Of course, the broad market taking its toll there on uh, some of those larger index stocks. Joining us now is City Senior Tech Analyst Jim Suva and D.A. Davidson Senior Research Analyst Tom Forte. Uh, good morning to you both, guys. Jim, Obviously, in a day like today, the biggest stocks are going to get caught up in the flow of what the market is doing. On the other hand, things like Apple often seen as relative safety and stability. Uh, what's your sense of what's happening in terms of the company this quarter, in terms of demand for products and how that's feeding into how investors are approaching the stock? Hey, it's great to see you and happy holidays. Everyone loves a sale during this weekend, and we're getting it today with the external variable being coronavirus, putting scares into the marketplace. Specifically, to answer your question regarding Apple, we expect their sales to be up year over year. And this is off of difficult comps where last year a lot of people were buying Apple products. And again, they continue to grow, both on their hardware products, such as iPhone, AirPods, AirTags, lots of different things that they're using, as well as on their services. And we expect technology to continue to lead as people circumvent and navigate through this coronavirus scare. We see this sale today as an opportunity. We think Apple continues to grow both its hardware and its services. And that's why we have a buy on the stock. Uh, Tom, uh, I don't know that there's a lot of um, uncertainty around the ultimate demand for the products. How does the supply side look? And, and a lot of talk about you know, how just being backed up on the supply front is going to cost some sales this quarter, and is that already in the stock? Uh, so I don't know that it's in the stock. It's a great question, Mike. The way I think about it is when they reported this September quarter, they indicated they had a $6 billion hit revenue in that period, and they think that the impact from supply chain challenges in the December quarter will be more than $6 billion. And if you think about the December quarter for Apple, that's essentially six lost days of sales. Um, I do think, though, that demand is very strong. And if you think about 2021 as potentially the year of a digital holiday with consumers unable to buy physical products uh, leaning into digital ones, Apple has a ton of services and a very large install base and therefore is very well positioned in that regard. Jim, it's Morgan. I mean, it's Black Friday. It's traditionally a day of sales for consumers. I mean, just looking at all of the red arrows for so many stocks across the board as we uh, count down to the open here in about a minute and a half. Are there, are there sales to be had in your coverage universe on a day like today as well? There are, Morgan. And I would say, again, people like sales for shopping outside today as well as online. But when we look at the stock market, those with experience, uh, you know, we don't believe that this is a catastrophic event. We believe that the fears will um, be bigger than what the actual reality will. We see this as a buying opportunity. You know, we definitely have a buy rating on Apple. We also have a buy rating on a company like Keysights as well as Dell. And we're seeing that both the consumers are spending as well as the corporations as employees start to return back to the office. They're finding, just like you, you need more videos. You need more co cooperation. You want some people sometimes to work from home one day a week. 
and simply workers want to be able to be connect to their workforce, whether it be through video, audio, or various different things. And we believe technology, the entire sector, is going to see a sale today that those with experience will have an opportunity and look back and say, that was a good decision. Uh, guys, stand by for a second. We want to continue our conversation before you hear the opening bell here at the New York Stock Exchange on this day after Thanksgiving. Take a look at the CNBC real-time exchange back at our headquarters in Englewood, New Jersey. And, of course, there is going to be a lot more red on that board. Here at the big board, American Express celebrating its annual Small Business Saturday. Over at the NASDAQ, Selena Smith in the role of Annie in Annie Live. Oh, yeah. It's Annie Live this year. All right. NBC. Now, there's synergy, huh? This Thursday, uh, that will be on. Uh, the guys, sun will come uh, out. yeah. Uh, we'll send it back to uh, to Mike for yeah. more questions. Yeah, um, you know, Tom. I, I guess the question here is: to what degree you view these mega cap tech stocks as actually even responding to what's going on in the business right now? You're seeing all of a sudden people pre-market come in and buy them just because of what they represent long term in the way of cash flows. Uh, and, you know, I guess, you know, that can also create the opportunity to, to, to sort of lighten up on some of these that you think are getting ahead of themselves. But uh, in your coverage universe, where would you say there is the opportunity uh, for uh, kind of a catch-up trade if there is going to be one? Sure. So I think the two big opportunities in my universe would be Overstock and Roku, uh, which I think are both incredibly well positioned, even if it is a heavy digital holiday. Overstock's done an amazing job of taking advantage of consumers' focus on the home category, and to the extent that there's a, a spike in the virus and consumers are once again um, nesting, I think that serves well for Overstock. And then Roku, even if there's supply chain challenges on the TV front, uh, they should be able to get their dongles in the hands of every consumer. And uh, I think the pullback we've seen in their stock makes it incredibly attractive right now. Um, just taking a look at the major averages, I mean, it's it's major losses today, as to be expected. Uh, you have the Dow down 818 points. We haven't seen the Dow fall by this much, more than 2% in a single session since mid-July. The Nasdaq's down almost 1% as well. The S&P is also down 1.4%. Uh, but, Tom, just to wrap all this up, the fact that the so-called stay-at-home stocks, uh, those tech names that were beneficiaries, for better or worse, during the worst of the pandemic last year, that they're seeing these bounces now, but of course have sold off so dramatically in recent weeks. Uh, would you expect this to, to be sustained as we continue to learn more about this COVID variant out of South Africa? So to the extent that there's news about these variants, I think that actually should put a bounce back in the step of a number of these uh, COVID beneficiaries like Overstock, like Etsy, uh, Roku, et cetera. Tom, thanks very much. We will uh, see how the day plays out here, truncated, but the lot going on, uh, Jim and, uh, and Tom. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much. And as guys, uh, as we look at how the market opened, obviously pronounced to the downside in terms of, uh, of the indexes. The S&P actually right now is, though, right at, you know, it was a low of a couple of weeks ago, actually. It's an area that people have been watching to say maybe that can, can hold. And it's really just because of the relative outperformance of those big index stocks. Because uh, at, the, at the start, you have essentially 90% of all stocks are down and a pretty, uh, pretty pronounced volume sweep against it. So that's, that's kind of the first flush lower. And, uh, and as I was saying before, you know, the market got itself uh, in a position to be most vulnerable to this type of uh, surprise where a potential new 
uh, COVID threat. Uh, and that was in, you know, getting back, rotating toward energy and the banks and playing for higher yields and actually pulling forward expectations of Fed rate hikes next year. This morning, you've given back some of those expectations. It's no longer considered to be kind of quite the sure thing in May. Obviously, you know, we're all kind of flying in a fog here. You don't know exactly whether this is going to develop into anything or if this is really uh, kind of one strong excuse for the market to sort of get this little test because, you know, in recent days, very erratic action, lots of stocks down even when the indexes were up. And, you know, David, we talked about the hedge funds being kind of uh, sort of whipsawed in this market right here where it's playing for, you know, risky stocks to get you, get you higher into year end. Yes. That gets unwound. And now maybe it seems like what you saw last uh, few days is exactly what you want to own today. It's true. Uh, although, as I've made the point, there are many hedge funds these days who have significant uh, exposure to private yeah, market sure. uh, com- uh, valuations. Uh, some of them have gone public during the course of the year. Many haven't. Those don't move around as much, Mike. That's another benefit uh, on days like today. And they have, it is, those marks have benefited the hedge funds enormously. From what I'm hearing, many of their public equity investments have not been good performers uh, this year. Obviously, when you say broadly, that's hard to do, but certainly I've heard any number of different firms that's the case. The market's making one decision today, guys. It's it's certainly that it likes Moderna. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, to put it that in some perspective, I mean, the stock is up 15%, certainly on the expectation that there may have to be uh, alterations to the current vaccine and many vaccines potentially to come if even this does not prove to be, as we hope is the case, uh, uh, any more transmissible or virulent than other uh, variants. Um, but, Mike, you know, uh, and Morgan, it, you know, this was a high of 500 on Just Moderna. At one point, its market value eclipsed that of Merck. So that, again, when you go back and take a look, does put in perspective some of the moves that we're seeing today on this so-called COVID trade. No, it's so true. And actually, I mean, healthcare is the only sector that's in the green in the S&P. Moderna's leading. Uh, you've got Pfizer higher, Thermo Fisher, Fisher, though. There's quite a number of names here, all potentially levered to the possibility of this new Delta variant and what that could mean in terms of demand for some of these different companies. Um, But it does speak to, Mike, more broadly, this playbook we've been seeing play out in recent weeks, which is some of these high-flying names that ran up very aggressively on expectations and maybe uh, demand that had been pulled forward, whether it's a Moderna or whether it's maybe some of the tech names like NVIDIA, et cetera, that were already coming off of those highs pretty aggressively amid a lot of profit-taking and, of course, are bouncing today. And, um, you know, again, that's that's the until it's proven wrong to actually react in that way, at least on a very short term basis, it's not going to change. I don't think it necessarily should. Um, Things like the cruise lines that are getting hit the hardest today and even to a lesser degree airlines, they really have traded as, you know, just kind of real time sentiment measures for what people think other people's appetite for travel is going to be. The balance sheets are kind of messy. You know, they've raised a lot of debt and equity. It's not as if people have a clear sight onto what their long-term earnings power is. It really is just about, you know, more or less travel expected based on today's headline. So that's how they're trading. We get it. That makes sense. We're already getting a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, of a bid in here to try to mm-hmm. have people uh, kind of look for whether there's been some, uh, some babies thrown out with bathwater. Yeah. Uh, the banks, I do notice, are also down yeah. more than the broader market at this point as well. I guess the prospect potentially of lower rates yes. uh, impacting there, maybe even a slowing economy. Again, all of these things, who knows? But, uh, but uh, to our point at the top of the show, yeah. 
Uh, well, yeah, there's your big bear. I, your market's I do like, like to. There's no questions being asked as much as there are just decisions being made. Yeah. And, and a lot of this is algorithmic, potentially. Sure. There are so many things that are set up at this point for a day like today. Right. And there, you have the kind of uh, urgency of, of kind of year-end performance dynamics that, that fit in. For, to the extent that we, people are on this artificial one-year clock for figuring out how they're going to get paid for this year's uh, market action. I always like to point out, you know, when, when prices go down, they also go back in time. So at 46.37, we traded down here on uh, October 10th, uh, November 10th, excuse me, so a little over two weeks ago. On the first of this month, the S&P traded around 4,600. So that's just to keep in mind what we're doing is sort of surrendering a bit of the November rally uh, in the broad market. And, uh, and for the 10-year Treasury yield, right, down to 153, 154, you know, that was uh, a little over a week ago. So it's not to say this isn't a dramatic move today. It's to say we're, we're kind of surrendering a lot of the, the territory that was built up in a relatively short uh, period of time. Uh, I do think there's questions about just exactly how... Um, uh, exactly how much conviction was underneath this market for a while right now because of the rapid sector shifts and people didn't exactly know how to play it. Energy is a great example of that. Where it's and a lack of breath yeah. that we talked about a bit mm -hmm. as well earlier. Right. Even the on the stronger Mike. index days. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that there just didn't seem to be as much conviction to your point. Small cap stocks, this kind of false breakout, and now they're kind of you know retracing again. So that's a good illustration. Yeah, you've also got Rick Santelli pointing to the MSCI rebalancing. Yeah. And that he's, you know, noting that that's exaggerating the move, at least in the bond markets, uh, according to the note that he sent out this morning as well. But to your point, I mean, the S&P is up 23.5% year to date. Uh, Got to wonder, though, what does this do to the Santa Claus rally? Yes, well, <laughs> we could reload for it. You never know. There, there was a big down uh, Black Friday uh, in, the, in the market uh, in, Dece in um, 2010. So we were in that kind of post financial crisis. It was a very choppy year, um, and it didn't necessarily define how the rest of the year went. Usually, when you haven't gotten that year-end rally, it's been when, you know, the Fed has been perceived as being too tight for the economy. I'm not sure we're in that zone at the moment uh, just yet, but it, it, it's worth asking because there's a lot of house money in this market uh, in a lot of the smaller stocks, and, uh, and it's kind of being given away. I mean, you look at the EV stocks this morning, for example, uh, not much of a move in Tesla, down less than 2%, but Rivian and, uh, and, and Lucid are down more. And so there, you know, you see the fast money kind of finding that it was in for a trade and not for an investment in these cases. Uh, we are seeing some travel restrictions put in place uh, in Europe and some other countries in, uh, in terms of travel between South Africa uh, and those, uh, those destinations. Uh, Anthony Fauci, I believe, was uh, a guest on CNN a few moments ago discussing, of course, the South African variant and concerns about it. Here's what he had to say. There's a new variant uh, that is now in South Africa in the, in the Gauteng province that has some mutations that are raising some concern, particularly with regard to possibly transmissibility increase and possibly evasion of immune response. We don't know that for sure right now. It's something that has emerged in South Africa and seems to be spreading in a, at a reasonably rapid rate in the sense of when they do test positivity. They're seeing that's a bit more widespread in South Africa than was originally felt a couple of days ago. So it's in a fluid motion. We're finding more about it. And literally, it's something that in real time we're learning more and more about. 
And again, that's the point we've been making all morning. You heard Meg Terrell discussing it as well. There's simply much we don't know at this point. Um, but I guess, Mike, what we've learned from the past is not to ask too many questions initially. Right. Uh, Delta, early on, you could have asked the same questions. We've seen the impact of that, not to mention, of course, the beginning of this pandemic as well in, let's call it, February or so of 2020. Yes. And it, it comes when uh, I think you already had a little bit of, um, of anxiety about the current surge of Delta in Europe and this sense of, OK, we're, are we going to have to kind of pull in our uh, optimism about global growth for the winter? Um, and that's been uh, something that's been getting around. I do think that colors a lot of the reaction. And um, and again, we're, we're sort of just, I think, almost stepping back to neutral corners is the way I would think about it, where you just don't exactly know. Uh, if, if you have enough information to make the big bets. And, um, and so, you know, you kind of uh, reduce your risk level to something that makes a little sense right now. And again, uh, 4630s, see if the market can hang around here in, in the S&P because that was the first stop people were watching. All right. Well, joining us now on the CNBC Newsline to continue this discussion is Steeple's Barry Bannister. Barry, thanks for being with us this morning. I mean, Mike just talked about it, neutral corners. How do you see the market sell-off playing out that we're watching this morning? holiday trading. Um, you know, think back to 2018 when we had that near 20% sell-off in the fourth quarter. The low was put in on Christmas Eve, December 24th. So I do consider that. Uh, but this this variant is interesting. It, it does have a spike protein mutation that makes it significantly worse than Delta, Beta, Mu, Lambda, and other variants. But in the end, I... You know, I've, I've felt for a while that this is just a seasonal mutating endemic coronavirus. We all have to get the vaccine uh, every year, get a tweaked vaccine like the flu, flu vaccine and uh, learn to live with it and invest with it. Yeah. Um, so given that fact, and certainly we've had that conversation on this network for months now, this idea of the pandemic shifting to something more endemic. Um, the reaction we're seeing here in the market is this are there buying opportunities here? What would you be looking at? What would you be steering clear of, especially given the fact that there's still a lot of uncertainty and question marks now around how all of this continues to evolve? You know, the uh, conversation seems to center around drug makers, but, you know, one of the positives is healthcare services. There's virtually no spare capacity in those countries with a, you know, national healthcare system. And as a consequence of that, it, it does argue that the U.S. would retain its uh, private health care system. So that's something to consider. But we've had five concerns about the market. I mean, one was the um, inflation reasons are joined with maybe bubble prevention reasons that the Fed would tighten and maybe tilt more hawkish. We have a tightening of global liquidity from the dollar strength, uh, weakness in cyclical growth by the first quarter and lagged effect of the tightening that China already did. It works with a lag. Uh, overextension in the stock-to-bond ratio, and I think geopolitics is in its own bull market in terms of risk. So those are five good reasons not to be a wild-eyed speculator going into year-end and the beginning of 2022. Yeah, you don't you don't sound very upbeat looking to the new year when you when you list those five factors that you're watching so closely. Um, what does this do to the Fed tightening timetable? I mean, you see more uncertainty around this variant. You see more potential lockdowns. I mean, whether that happens here in the U.S. or not, we're seeing it in other parts of the world right now, too. You're starting to see, really now, just this morning, dozens of countries, for example, um, 
putting uh, holds on travel from southern African countries, for, for example. Um, what does that do to the Fed's ability to move forward and counter inflation? And I ask that because on the other side of that is if you do see lockdowns in places like, for example, Asia, that's only going to exacerbate supply chain issues as well. Correct. Uh, it's not just monetary policy, though. Remember, it's also fiscal policy. So one of the things the market may be thinking about right now is that uh, this could delay or reduce some of the Build Back Better agenda spending. Uh, we need to keep some powder dry in case of contingencies precisely like this. So as you have that uncertainty, that desire, perhaps among some of the moderates in the Senate, to hold back a little bit, it delays further the fiscal, which is working in conjunction with monetary to provide all this stimulus to the market. You know, Barry, we have to obviously um, kind of make a bunch of assumptions as to how this plays to try to decide what it means, for example, for things like uh, inflation. But I do wonder if we, we should watch the market for signals that it thinks that perhaps there could be uh, supply issues that persist because of this. For example, if you have countries with zero to tolerance policies on COVID and all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, reclosing the factories that, that started up again and, and all the rest of it, this idea that inflation has become somewhat disconnected from the underlying growth uh, and consumption story. It's much more of a supply thing. Yeah, I remember decades ago going to a, a class with a um, uh, uh, Smith Barney technician, Alan Shaw, and he described how uh, markets tend to move in three waves up and three waves down. And uh, inflation, including commodities and consumer prices, move in waves. So we've had a big wave, yes, and it was driven by energy, durable and non-durable goods. But next year, uh, inflation may moderate a little bit, but to a higher low. And that's the key, a higher low in terms of the print. And uh, wages occurring before productivity raises unit labor costs. And I'm pretty convinced that rents of all sorts are going to go up and lag to affect a lack of supply and uh, uh, higher home prices. So all this means that the inflation will settle in above the Fed's target. The Fed really does need to move towards uh, away from uh, zero interest rate policy and needs to wrap up this QE fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, one thing you didn't mention there was energy. Uh, and energy stocks are the worst performers in the S&P this morning. Are these a buy at, at these level? No, no. The energy moves Ever since the global financial crisis, energy moves directly opposite the dollar. So as the dollar receives this flight to safety bid and the Fed is seen as the first large, you know, only really important central bank that's moving towards tightening, uh, strength in the dollar is just kryptonite for oil. All right. Barry Bannister, thanks for joining us on this Black Friday. Thank you. So just getting a quick check on the markets right now. I mean, all the major averages are down greater than 1%. Um, the S&P is down 1 and 3 quarters percent, 46.18, so holding above that 4,600 level, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Mike. Uh, and then the Dow is down 897 points, 2.5% right now. The Nasdaq also down 1.3%. And we're on pace for large losses yeah. for all the major averages for the week now. Yeah, if you look at um, the S&P 500 on an equal weighted basis, so it kind of diminishes the effect of the very biggest NASDAQ stocks, it's down 2% straight. So uh, that's, that's pretty much what we're doing is skimming 2% uh, off this market, getting us back to where we traded a couple of weeks ago. You know, Barry, just talking about the dollar, we actually are softening up in the U.S. Mm -hmm. dollar index here, too, which was 
probably to be expected as we do have yields go lower and an expectation that maybe the Fed is not going to be in such a hurry. That's been what's driving the, the dollar higher in the past couple of weeks. Some other uh, stories we're following this morning outside, of course, of the broader uh, losses in the market and concern about the latest COVID variant. Uh, China, which we talk about a great deal. We'll show you shares of Didi. They are down, uh, of course, the right-hailing service dominant uh, in the Chinese market. Listed here, remember, not covering itself in glory in terms of the underwriter's decision there to bring this thing public. Uh, soon after, you may recall, new regulations from the Chinese um, crush the stock. The latest story, this is from Bloomberg, and I should point out, uh, CNBC, we have not been able to confirm this is the case, but Bloomberg reporting that regulators uh, do want the company to delist from the New York Stock Exchange um, because of concerns about, and this has been sort of the concern that they've been citing for some time, leakage of sensitive data. This is very specific to Didi, Mike, but of course we have seen weakness this year in so many Chinese-related equities those that list here and others as well related to any variety of things, but certainly increases overall in regulation. Yeah. And, and that obviously has come to seem as if it's the Chinese authorities kind of, you know, principal uh, excuse or a reason for, for essentially trying to bring some of these companies uh, to heel here. The K-Web, that's the uh, Chinese Internet ETF, down almost 4 percent this morning. So uh, clearly kind of concentrated worry over uh, over those things there, but really much more of a continuation of a theme. There had been a bounce in those stocks, uh, the Chinese tech stocks, but uh, still have not been able to really recover a whole lot of the, uh, the year-to-date gain, uh, year-to-date losses. Uh, let's go over to Dom Chu back at uh, CNBC headquarters. He's going to be taking a look at the cr- plunge in crypto along with stocks this morning, Dom. Uh, yeah, so Mike, uh, m- much of this kind of risk aversion trade that's playing out in markets right now has also hit the crypto markets as well, and, and for many reasons, but one of them has been this notion uh, for the past several months now that there's been a growing inflation hedge narrative that goes into some of these cryptocurrencies, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum specifically, this notion that if you can have a regime of maybe, possibly, hypothetically higher inflation down the line, could cryptocurrencies be a way for you to kind of insure yourself against some of those particular threats? That's been part of the story for the rise in Bitcoin to those record high prices. If the inflation threat is not that great because of a threat like a new variant for COVID, then some of that inflation narrative goes away. For that reason, that's part of the story behind why you're seeing the weakness that you're seeing in crypto prices right now. Bitcoin just down about 7.5%. By the way, that's off-session lows now. We've seen a bit of a bounce there for Bitcoin, 54,606. Ethereum, Ether prices, just a hair below 4,100, down about 9% right now. Litecoin, Solana, Dogecoin, some of the other altcoins, so to speak, the smaller ones in Bitcoin are falling as well. Now, with regard to putting the Bitcoin move in context, we are now roughly, call it 20% or so, below the record highs that we saw just a few weeks back in Bitcoin prices. If you take a look at the chart for Bitcoin, what you will see is the recent volatilities kind of pulled us now down to roughly 20% below the record high levels that we've seen. What's more important for some traders who use technical patterns to to evaluate their trading strategies and and, and currencies like Bitcoin and, and everything else 56,300 was the 50-day average price of Bitcoin or thereabouts in that market. We've kind of fallen below that, so some traders will say that's a statistically significant level. We'll watch to see if there's a bounce there. Below that, you have to get to about 48,700 per coin before you get to another level, which is the 200-day average price. So watch Bitcoin. And then, of course, the stocks that kind of form the ecosystem around it. You look at names, perhaps, 
like Coinbase because it's a big exchange operator. Coinbase is down about two and a quarter percent right now. Robinhood Markets also gets a good amount of exposure towards cryptocurrency trading down about one quarter of one percent. PayPal is actually up on the day. Square and PayPal have been real underperformers as of late. Square is down about you know one uh, about one percent here. And MicroStrategy, which owns a good amount of Bitcoin on its balance sheet, down roughly four percent right now. So some of the names, Morgan, that we'll keep an eye on as this kind of cryptocurrency trade starts to evolve. I'll send things back over to you. Dom Chu, thank you. Let's get to Courtney Reagan, who is looking at the retail names that are getting slammed on this Black Friday. Hey, Court. Hi, Morgan. A bit of a different day than I think we all thought we would have. Today is still forecast to be the biggest in-store shopping day of the year. But now the big question is, will it hold up as expected with the news of this new COVID variant? Now, investors are decidedly negative on retailers' ability to weather another variant storm here today. The XRT down almost 3%. And over the last five years, Black Friday has been rather unremarkable for the XRT, never up or down more than a percent. So this move is unusual for today. Among the retailers underperforming, look at the department store and mall-based store names. Dillard's and Nordstrom. Nordstrom down 7%. Dillard's down 5%. Macy's off 6%. American Eagle down 6% as well. Higher-end names with significant international and tourist spending influences. Names that consumers that shop there typically have a little bit more sensitivity to market sell-offs include Tapestry, Capri Holding, Real Real, Capri Holding down more than 7%, Tapestry off 4.5%. And this morning, many shoppers, though, appear to be so far unaffected by the new variant. Macy's CEO Jeff Gannett was live from Herald Square this morning just after the store opened and those doorbusters kicked off. Our business was quite strong. So uh, we're, we're really encouraged by the traffic that we're seeing, and we think it's going to be a great Black Friday. It's all too familiar for us about what we're going through right now, and we're going to be ready for the next wave, whatever that is. Now, gaming consoles are the top search product so far today online, according to search intelligence platform Captify, up 67% from last year. Nintendo Switch, number one, then PlayStation 5. And searches are actually focused on stock and availability above interest in deals for the PlayStation in particular. Amazon searches up 260% on Black Friday here, 89% more than searches for Black Friday, for Walmart, which dominated Black Friday searches last year. Now, today's U.S. online sales forecast to hit 9.5% billion dollars, up 5% from last year, though that is shy of the full season's growth rate of 10%. But perhaps more shopping will shift online than originally forecast with the new news this morning. David, we have to wait and see. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on this morning, Courtney. Uh, but nice to actually talk a little Black Friday, uh, which, of course, mm. as you pointed out, we intended to be doing uh, throughout uh, Courtney Reagan. Joining us now is Cowan Senior Retail Analyst Oliver Chen. Uh, and Oliver, good to have you. Let me start with you know, whether or not the news this morning, the concern about this latest variant, it all figures into the way you're thinking about uh, retail right now, uh, whether it be brick and mortar or obviously uh, omnichannel and or fully uh, online. David, it's great to be here. Happy Black Friday. We love curbside pickup. We love omni-enabled retailers such as Walmart and Target. We think they're very well positioned and that they're multi-category as well as offering very innovative digital solutions to customers. Overall, uh, we expect a very epic Black Friday, one of the best we've seen in many, many years, as this is a real gift-giving season. Gifts for you, gifts for me, and gifts for others. So we're noticing very low levels of promotions and also encouraging traffic. But as we think about the variant, it will be important to own these digital retailers and well-prepared retailers such as Target, Walmart, and Costco. 
Also, we're thinking about 100% digital and native retailers such as Revolve, Farfetch, MyTeresa, and others as well. Yeah, we came into this holiday season with obviously a lot of concerns about the supply chain, how much inventory would be available, what's going to be on shelves. Where are you in terms of trying to determine where the retailers are right now in terms of fulfilling what is clearly very strong demand? Yeah, one of our top ideas is Macy's, and they got goods early in the season, and we're, we're well prepared for what we're seeing. We're also seeing this morning, you know, at 5 a.m., inventory levels generally better than feared across many categories and very good traffic. There are pockets of risk, including women's apparel. There aren't enough leggings at some places and electronics as well. But consumers have plenty of money to spend in their pockets, and they're looking for items and will substitute other items in many cases, as well as accept a degree of price increases. Oliver, just looking back over the 20 months and the different iterations of coronavirus and, and COVID-19 variants, um, what does history tell us? I mean, the most recent variants, whether it's Delta or what came before it, I mean, we're seeing such broad-based selling in retail stocks in general today, um, but have these companies been dented very much uh, with previous variant spreads? Morgan, the earlier shocks were more dramatic in terms of traffic. However, uh, retail's had a lot of time to really implement uh, safety measures across the store experience, such as curbside pickup and social distancing. Uh, the consumer has also experienced uh, many different shocks. Um, overall, we think the savings rate, the health of the consumer, those are all positives. And customers are getting out again it's return of the store. Physical store traffic is up versus last year. And many retailers are doing a great job really blending these channels. Bricks plus clicks, mobile, desktop online. Those are all factors that are driving uh, what's happening in consumer stocks. That being said, uh, with today's events, um, some of the rotation into more defensive names, such as Walmart, Target, and Costco, makes sense. So if you had to pick one name, especially on a day like today, very quickly, what would it be? We like Target. We like Macy's as well. All right. Well, it was two, but that was good. That was very <laughs> short. Oliver, enjoy your Black Friday. Uh, we look forward to checking in with you again soon. Thank you. Season's greetings. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.